Welcome to another edition of West of Everest. Lee Benson alongside Grant Benson talking OU football. In a few days, Oklahoma will play its season finale at Texas Tech in Lubbock in what uh, might be a pretty nasty day weather-wise. We can talk about that as we get into that game later in the show. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about all the news and notes surrounding OU football. And again, to help me do that, of course, is Grant Benson. Grant, what's going on? Nothing much, Lee. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody uh, listening to this. Hopefully uh, had a nice meal with your family today and uh, you're just catching up on some OU football uh, in a nice sort of quiet, relaxing time. You say that and I'm thinking, well, I have time to upload this today as we record, but eh, probably not. So yeah, it'll the first time you listen to this show will probably be on Thanksgiving if you guys get it uh, as soon as possible. We're recording middle of the afternoon on Wednesday. See, Grant, I got to say, this is the, the fortunate thing about my decision to, to move out of the TV business. Now I'm, I'm working for the Department of Agriculture in Oklahoma, and this has been a week where I was able to work a half day on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and that's something that either never happened before or uh, you know, if, if I was able to months in advance take off for Thanksgiving, maybe I'd be off this day. But uh, it's, it's nice that we have this time here to get this episode done because, you know, later today, you and I, we're going to go to the Thunder game. We're going to get your, is this going to be your first Thunder game? Well, this is going to be my first NBA game since probably like uh, the early 2010s. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be good. So uh, anyways, nobody here cares about that. So I don't even know why I went into it. Uh, maybe I kind of wanted to brag that I only worked a half day because it never happens. <laughs> but uh, So the main thing I want to talk about today before we get into talking about Texas Tech is Jeff Lebby's Monday press conference because the story of the game on Saturday, you know, again, great job by the Oklahoma defense. The Sooners, you know, countless times throughout the game, they were put kind of in a bad spot or they were asked to turn Oklahoma State's offense away. And over and over and over again, the Sooners' defense did while the offense was bad after the first quarter. And so even though the Bedlam win was good, the story of the game was that the offense for the last three quarters, in particular the second half, where Oklahoma only managed two first downs, was, was awful, was bad. And you know Jeff Lebby is the offensive coordinator, had his Monday, usual Monday press conference, and not surprisingly, he was asked a lot about the offense. And so I ask you this question, Grant, and you might not have a good answer to it, because honestly, I'm not even sure if I have a good answer to it, but what did you want to get out of Jeff Lebby's press conference Monday afternoon of this week or what did you want to hear from the Oklahoma offensive coordinator yeah I, I guess I, best case scenario right would just be an acknowledgement that he effed up and that he didn't know what on earth he was doing in the second half yeah I guess I mean and and to, to some extent he, he did it, and after the game like he's done all season long he put everything on him and he took all of the blame and he's done that consistently and you know, watching his press conference on Monday, the theme was uh, he says that he was down the stretch of that game. He got too conservative, and he mentioned that 16 of the last 18 snaps Oklahoma had were all run plays. And he's like, "Yeah, I was I was too conservative. We ran the ball too much in the start of the game in the first quarter. We were scoring all these points, moving the ball, doing a little bit of everything, and being a lot more dynamic." So he said that, and then in particular, the last couple of series of the game. And this is from Levy, and I didn't write down his quotes verbatim, but uh, I did write down notes from what he said. He said, you know, the last two series is when Oklahoma had the ability to probably huddle and truly slow down the game. And Levy said that 
to him, the biggest thing that he learned coming out of that OU Oklahoma State game, the biggest thing that he learned is staying aggressive. And that's how that they want to play, and that's how they want to operate. He said they got to throw the football, and you know, if Oklahoma State's got one more in the box than we can block, we got to throw the football. And he also added that they're not built to run the quarterback 25 times a game. So they got to throw the football and make plays. And that way they have a chance to separate and get away from their opponent. And so I was, I, I get what he's saying. Okay. I, I understand that the idea is that you're up 28 nothing, 28 10 or whatever. You want to separate, you want to move away. But I'm not so sure that the biggest takeaway from that game, for me, if I was the coach, is that I got to be more aggressive because he referenced how 16 of the last 18 snaps were runs and they were conservative. But that's conveniently leaving out the second quarter, all of the third quarter, and probably parts of the fourth quarter, depending on how many snaps they had total in the fourth quarter. And so that's where I was kind of like listening to his press conference. I kind of thought, hmm, I get what he's saying, but I'm not so sure that would be my biggest takeaway from that Bedlam game. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that does kind of feel like you're just kind of, and I don't know if this is intention, but sort of just muddying the picture a lot because the real, the tempo is the problem. That's that's the issue. Like, I'm, I'm the type of guy, like, I get it. Like, I like aggressiveness too. I like burying your opponents. When OU was up 28 to nothing, the goal at that point in time should have been to win the game 56 to nothing. That's that's what it should have been. Um, and, like, so I, I understand, like, the aggressive mindset when it comes to that, but that doesn't address the big problem in the game, which was it was a, they had a large lead. They had a large lead in the second half and obviously something had changed. They just weren't playing as well. They weren't playing as well in the second half. They weren't playing as well after the first quarter. And so obviously the cadence of the game, the flow of the game had totally changed. And Jeff Levy showed not only, he just showed a complete unwillingness to change along with it. And that was the concerning part. And I guess to, to answer the, you know, the, the question that you posed to me right before we went into this, like what did I want to hear from him? One, like I already said, it was just like an acknowledgement that there was something wrong there. And then I guess the second thing I, wanted, I, I want to hear is like what, you know, is this going to happen again? Like are, what, you know, what sort of assurances do, do we have that if, if they're in a position like this again, you're not just going to have them keep going fast and snapping the, snapping the ball with 25 seconds to go when the number one priority in those situations was to burn as much clock as possible. And you showed no interest in doing that. Why? And he, he actually, episode, and he didn't actually. That question actually was not answered. So you, uh, and I mean, I mean, I can't even remember what the question was to him when he went through all that. It was probably just about clock management. There is a lot of different versions of clock management questions directed his way. Oh, man, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, you said last episode that. You would love to have somebody ask him the question. And this is uh, the first time, you know, me not being <laughs> employed anymore at News 9, we're not being able to go to that press conference. Uh, that's kind of backfiring because you wanted to ask, you know, somebody to ask him, has tempo this year served you well? Or some version of that question. And if I was there on Monday, I'd, I'd have been happy to ask him a, a question similar to that or maybe that exact direct question. Because again, as you all know, I mean, I, I was there every Monday. I think I might have missed one Levy presser this year. And I, you know, I was trying to make sure I asked them at least a, one or two questions per availability, and that wasn't that wasn't addressed. You know, that that direct question. Maybe into the season. You know, maybe if he has like a postseason 
press conference or something like that or you know during the bowl prep maybe somebody will ask him there's plenty of time still to ask a question like that uh, because technically we're not done yet with the season so maybe that's one of those questions that a lot of the reporters that cover OU football because there's a lot of really talented people that cover OU football maybe that's something that's like you know what we'll wait till the end and we'll see if that's a question and, and honestly that, that could happen so uh, that's a question that I would love to hear answered as well because uh, the last two games particularly the last game the Bedlam game uh, Oklahoma won the game but again you know we complained over and over and over again on the most recent podcast that the tempo was the problem and it doesn't, you're right. Tempo. It doesn't change the fact, Lee, that they had 13 consecutive empty possessions to end this game. That is an entire game's worth of possessions. They got shut out and they didn't even really move the ball as well. And there was a complete unwillingness to change, to adapt, to acknowledge the reality of the situation. That's so concerning. And so we did get a, a bit, if you, you know, watch it a certain way, there's a, maybe a bit of an insight into Levy's mind when it comes to clock management and maybe slowing down because Levy said on Monday that he said really the last the last four series or so of the game he said the last four or so series of the game that's when you have the ability to truly shorten the game and so maybe in his mind uh that's that's what you know up until the last and I guess technically you never know how many more series you have left it's all just kind of based on how much time is left uh heck with uh with Oklahoma though I mean you could have 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter and easily have four more series, if not more, just considering how fast they go and if the defense is able to get off the field. But uh, maybe that gives you an idea of that. He's not going to be thinking in terms of slowing down because that's Oklahoma's offense. Oklahoma's offense is tempo, 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 as we've seen. Unless you know, there's a special situation like we saw again, and I can only think of one in the first game of the year against UTEP where he really did slow things down in the second quarter. Maybe not until the end of the game is he even thinking about it. And honestly, in a situation where he, he could have shortened the game or at least tried to, he, they didn't. <laughs> they really didn't, with the exception of maybe one or two snaps here or there. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm not really sure I'm going with this. But uh, like he, he did acknowledge, like, hey, towards the end of the game, yes, that's a thing. But from what we've seen on the field, his play calling and his, his strategy, it just hasn't really been a part of – of what Oklahoma's trying to do when they have a lead late in the game. Uh, I, I just, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, too long, didn't read. I mean, how I, you know, how I feel about this is, and I've made this very clear, I really hate the way that they use tempo. It's, and it's, they keep doing it. If they don't adjust, it's going to get them beat a lot more often. I, I really do believe that. It's, it's just, it doesn't, it just like, just kind of like the Alex Grinch defense. It works the best only when you have a ton of awesome players that will play in the NFL. And I don't. I just. I don't think that's tenable. I don't like that. I, it's. It's such a gimmick. Tempo should be used as your ace in the hole when you're already good. Tempo should take you from good to great. That's what it should do. But you got to get good first. You can't rely on the tempo to make you good. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really good take. And you've been saying that ever since Jeff Levy was hired. And and I. I think that explanation. Your philosophy. I think it's it's only it, to me, it's only gotten stronger because you know, we can point back to we can point back to early Oklahoma. I mean, more than a decade ago. I mean, I, the easy one is the 2008 team. I mean, the 2008 team, if they wanted to, they could go really really fast. And Oklahoma did go fast a lot, but they didn't always go fast. And that's the thing is, we watched everyone listening to this podcast. They're old enough. You watch that 08 team. That team went really fast 
a lot of the time. And I mean, it was kind of the first team because everyone thinks back to the Chip Kelly Oregon teams that were a couple years later. The Kevin Wilson OU team was just as fast or kind of like was kind of blazed the trail, but they could also slow it down if they needed to. That it wasn't the only thing about it. And that offense was fantastic. And then with the tempo, it got even better and better and better. Uh, I'm sure you know, you know college football a lot better than me. You could probably point out to other other additions or other versions of offense that did that that have done that. Oklahoma's current offense it can be good, but it's yeah. Whenever the tempo is not working, and it, it, put it this way, when when they aren't playing well, and they continue with the tempo and tempo and tempo, it just magnifies them not playing well, and it shows that okay, this tempo may be a problem. Yeah, I, I would argue that it was so. It was actually that Missouri team with Chase Daniel was was really the first to introduce the tempo like that into the Big Twelve. And I do think that that from the 2007 to the 2008 season, that's kind of what gave Bob Soups the idea to adapt a little bit into that. Um, but of course, you know those Missouri offenses, Ch- Chase Daniel, a lot better than Dylan Gabriel. They also had Jeremy Macklin, who was better than anybody on OU's roster. Um, and so, I mean, that tells you why those Missouri offenses were so successful. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just, that's, I, I agree with you. I, I think do the dirty work first, work on being precise first, and then add that stuff in once you've mastered everything else. Because don't you want to have a deeper playbook and still be able to go fast? OU's not able to do that right now. Because they're, Ooh, good point. Good they're not point. tight with the other stuff. They're not, they're not as buttoned up. They're not as good with the stuff because they, they're not as precise. And that's because of the tempo. That needs to change. Has to. And to that point, and I don't know if you or I have, have said this that clear all season long, but I'll, I'll just kind of state it out there. And we've kind of had versions of this, especially the last couple of weeks when the offense has been struggling. So to me, it's almost like the tempo. We say, you've said it, I've said it. It seems like a gimmick. It almost is to me, the tempo is Jeff Lebby trying to cover up the simplicity of his offense. Like I do believe that is, is the so, case. It's so simple that if we go really fast and catch the defense off guard because they're getting lined up a certain way or they just, oh, man, this snap happened. There's 11 yards there. Oh, my gosh. Seven seconds later, there's another snap. We can't get lined up. Uh, we're going to mess up. That's how, how this offense is supposed to be successful because it, it makes the other team mess up because Oklahoma's going so fast. Not that Oklahoma, X's and O's wise, is out scheming anybody. And at times, as you mentioned in the last episode, Jeff Levy, he can, he can dial up some pretty creative stu- plays and, and cool stuff, but it's not consistent. Like, it's, it's here or there. They got some shot plays. You can't, you can't run fun plays like that when you, when you have to go as fast as Jeff Levy wants to. And, like, I, I noticed this a lot more when I was there live in Ames watching against Iowa State. Just far too many one-shot called plays where there's only one route being run. And all of the other receivers are basically running five yards and then just stopping and just being like, whatever. Those plays suck. And it's entirely because of the tempo. Get rid of that crap. Yeah, and that's, people might be thinking like, what do you mean by a simple offense? That's an example. Or literally, there's a, there's a play where there's a one, only one read for Dylan Gabriel. It's a shot play and maybe it's a, it's a go. And he's going to throw it no matter what because... It's going to be probably a one-on-one situation. If it gets picked off or whatever, that's what that you know gets picked off. There's not really any any check down, or it's simply that there's just a bunch of slants. There's a bunch of hitches. Uh, there's a bunch of just quick ends. Uh, I mean, how many times do, does Oklahoma run double slant? Which is it's a standard route. Don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of teams run the double slant. You just pick which one you want to go to. It's just and every every once in a while they might do a slant and go. 
which that's not something you can do all the time, but it would seem like there's certain situations where it would be nice if they had more of those or maybe some more creativity with the, the route combinations. And, uh, and, and when it comes to the running game, I mean, it's, it's you know, inside zone, left and right, most of the time. They'll pull some, some linemen here or there. They'll run a little GT counter. Yeah, not, not, not true GT counter like what we've seen from Lincoln Ryan, but they'll pull the guards around here, tackles every once in a while. That's about it. I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot to prepare for when you're watching Oklahoma offensively on tape. It's just, can you get lined up? And can you anticipate what they're going to do? Once you can kind of anticipate what you're going to do, maybe it's easier for these defensive coordinators to figure out, okay, here's our base defense. Here's how we're going to line up. And it's possible that Derek Mason figured that out. And that's why Oklahoma struggled so much in the last three quarters. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't watch the tape really at all that closely. But I'm just trying to figure out ways that defenses that are not good, like Oklahoma State's has not been good all year, can make Oklahoma look that one-dimensional and that bad for three quarters. It, just, it didn't make any sense. It's frustrating. It's fr- it needs to be better. Uh, but still, happy they won. Happy the defense played well. It's just kind of, you know, and hope, you know, they, they're still two games left. It's, they can still theoretically get better. They can improve on these things. But, man, I mean, that was just, it was so bad, man. 13 straight, empty. They got shut out. In the, in the second game that they played within that game, they got shut out and averaged, like, less than two yards of play. Nope. Not okay. Not okay. Nope. It was good to hear. I will say it was good to hear. On Monday, Levy acknowledged that you know the third down problems have been ridiculous. What, OU's 2 of 25, I believe, the last two games on third down. And, and Levy was like, yeah. And I realized that a lot of that has been third and manageable. I mean, a lot of it's been third and five, third and six, or, or less. This is where I think Dylan Gabriel really limits what they can do. You still there? Yeah. Sorry, I was getting a phone call. I uh, want to make sure that it was still going. So his explanation for the third down struggles, he said that his biggest frustration is that when it was third and medium, like every single snap against Oklahoma State, it was a different position group or a different person every single play that made a mistake. He said, And he gave some examples. He said whether it was a version of mesh, whether on a quarterback draw the quarterback fell down, he said maybe you give up a pressure when you had a guy wide open or simply if you just drop a pass. I mean, everybody was kind of messing up. And he also said, that, hey, like for me, making a bad play call on third and two where he said that Oklahoma State had been playing a lot of man. He thought they would get man coverage, but they didn't show that on some third and two call. He wasn't specific. And he said, yep, they got me on that one. And I was going back trying to figure out which play he was talking about. I couldn't figure and it out. And let me guess, I, I guarantee you he was going warp speed before that. Take your time, man. Probably. I mean, that's... Take your freaking time. Look at the defense. And that kind of goes back. You mentioned that when I said this a little bit ago, when uh, slowing down and like not even slowing down. Sorry. Whenever he said that the, his biggest takeaway, the thing he learned the most was staying aggressive. There was a quick little line he had where he said that, you know, if they, if they got one more in the box, then we can block. They got to throw the football. And, to your point, like if they're going so fast, they can't even have time to look at who's all in the box, and they just are going to just run into an eight- or nine-man box like we saw a couple of times against West Virginia. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, you're, you're not helping yourself out. Like You're playing right into the defense's hands because the defense is thinking, well, well we've watched a lot of tape on you. We have a pretty good idea of what you're going to run here on whatever it is, second and short, third and short. We're just going to stack the box, and there you go. And heck, even third and long. 
the play that I talked about last episode. It was third and 15, I think, after the Anton Harrison holding call. And I, I swear Oklahoma State looked like they had, they had nine in the box. They had no safeties back deep. And they just all out blitz. And they got to Gabriel. Well, they would have gotten to Gabriel. He got rid of it quick. But he had to get rid of it on the slant to Theo Weiss. It was knocked away. So, I mean, it was an easy play for the defensive back because there was so much pressure on Gabriel that he had to get rid of the football. And that played right in Oklahoma State's hands where if they would have looked over the formation. Who knows? Maybe they could have checked to something. Maybe I don't know if they have something to check to, though. That's the thing. I don't even know if they could have an audible there. If they could audible do a max protect and hit a play over the middle of the field where there's no safety help. So I don't know. I mean, this is it's easy for us to sit there and watch and Monday morning quarterback. But also at the same time, this is not that overly complicated, I don't think. And we certainly know that this offense is that is not particularly overly complicated. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've been watching been watching the, the variation of this offense for a long time now, over a decade now. And I it's. Man, it can only get you so far. I, I really believe that. Well, nobody, unfortunately, nobody asked Levy about the Wildcat, which I think is, is a legitimate, kind of a reasonable question considering a lot of the, the third down shortcomings has been third and medium. Third hey, and man, you got you, you to gotta, you gotta sub in a different personnel package with the Wildcat, and you can't go fast. <laughs> that's right. Like, I mean, actually, that's, I, like, I, that's got to be a part of it. And, yeah. and I hope I'm not just straw manning that. But if that's the case, man, that sucks. It's just stupid. So, yeah, that's my, uh, my wildcat obsession is growing by the week. I mean, it's really only in two weeks. But you know, I, I've never been a big fan of gimmicky stuff like the wildcat. You know, here and there, sure, why not? But, man, it's, for the most part, it's worked. Honestly, like the only time it hasn't really worked this year is when Marcus Major took the snap against Baylor. A lot of the time with the Wildcat, the reason why teams went to the Wildcat is because it's really, really difficult to get outnumbered in the box when you're in the Wildcat. The defense, the defense has to completely, completely sell out to stop the run to get a numbers advantage, and that leaves you open to other things. And even, yeah, I mean... Obviously, when Texas knew Oklahoma was going to be doing that so much in that game, they were still able to get positive yardage for the most part with Braden Willis and, heck, Jaleel Farouk and Eric Gray in that Texas game. And so, anyways, we'll see if Oklahoma goes back to the Wildcat or utilizes it against Texas Tech or if they have, they'll even need uh, no, to. No, they're but not the way they, to. It's not, it's not part of the offense. It isn't. I mean, they've used it. They used it, you know, against Texas as kind of their one ace in the hole. Used it a little bit against... Kansas and a little bit against Baylor. I haven't seen it at all since then. I suppose we spent this entire time talking about Levy's press conference. I probably should mention the head coach too, because Brent Venables, not surprisingly, was also asked about clock management, clock management uh, situations and whatnot at his press conference. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Venables came out and he said, "Yeah, you know, we should have huddled the entire fourth quarter," but he also acknowledged that OU's offense. They were trying to make something happen because, and Venables mentioned, like, not, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, yeah, we're trying to make something happen here because Oklahoma's defense didn't come into that game as some high-flying great defense. <laughs> it's like, which is fact check true. Oklahoma State's defense is not that good. So like, he's like, yeah, we should, have, we should have huddled the whole fourth quarter, but yeah, we were trying to make something happen. And he kind of said the same thing Jeff Lebby did when it came to what they learned. And I suppose they're, probably on the same page. They probably discussed this. He said, you know, hey, we, we got to stay aggressive, particularly in the third quarter. 
But then Venable said he went back to you know, in the fourth quarter. That's the time where we got to run the clock. We got to take time off the clock. So that's where they kind of differed a little bit. You know, it was more like, hey, that third quarter, we can stay aggressive. But then, hey, in the fourth quarter, we probably should have should have been more mindful of taking time off the clock. And I think it was Garen Emig from the Tulsa World who asked Venables directly. He said, hey, was that a situation in the game where you get on the headset there to Jeff Lebby and you tell Lebby to be mindful of the play clock? And Venables, all he did, he kind of nodded his head. He said, yeah, no doubt. And he didn't go into any details on it. But that clearly didn't happen. So there is a disconnect between OC and HC. This is this pretty clear by these two press conferences. Well, and also the fact that Venables didn't feel the need to go into a whole lot of detail when he was asked if that was a situation where you tell Lebby about the the play clock stuff. He, As we all know, Brent Venables is somebody who loves to talk. So to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but to me, whenever he's short on some things, to me, it tells me there's something there. There's something there. And that's just kind of the way uh, almost a full year of listening to Brent Venables talk about football. That's kind of the way I, I read him sometimes. Well, I really hope then that we get a, you know, we, we get a little window in, on, on Saturday maybe into, into what's going on here. I, I really hope they get a, like a double-digit lead and let's see what they do with the clock. Let's see if there's an actual change there. Let's see if they make a concerted effort to do this. And if they do, I think it's pretty safe to assume that Venable's got in his ear. I agree. All right, more news and notes about OU football. Andrew Rame tweeted that he had, uh, had surgery. So and, and we didn't talk about this at all, but he, he didn't play in Bedlam. And We I, didn't know, talk about the weird snaps from Conjol either. I guess that's on me. I didn't, I didn't even pay attention enough to notice. Yeah, maybe he didn't notice his being there in person on TV. Really obvious. His snaps are just just noodle snaps. I mean, it takes it takes okay. twice as long for them to get there than Rames do. Hmm, that's not good. I mean, he's got one of the big things about Conjol is his flexibility. He had experience playing center coming to OU, and obviously that's why he's playing center uh, now that Rame is out. But yeah, so there's there's issues there with the snaps. So you know, hopefully they can get that ironed out in a week. But I don't know. Probably not. I mean, they were they they had nearly like you know they had three hundred yards of offense and scored twenty eight points in the first quarter with him snapping it like that anyway. So yeah, true. It's a great point. What else is going on? Anything else? I saw, oh hey, I I saw this on yeah. Sooner Scoop earlier this week, and I actually I wanted to bring it because it was smart. Whatever like whatever happened to them going under center with Dylan Gabriel? Remember how su- that's been successful like and and running the that's been successful every time they've done it this year. Not true, because it blew up in their face against West Virginia. Penalty. It was a penalty. But they also did something then, weird. They weren't doing, they, they weren't doing the, the under center look that worked really well against Iowa State. They tried, to do, they tried to get cute, and remember, they put Chris Murray in the backfield. Yep. And ever since that, don't think we saw it. Don't think we saw it. You know, not in short yardage. Not in, so, I don't know. That's the thing is, it's fair to bring up all of these things we've seen whenever the offense is playing as poorly as it's playing right now, with the exception of the first quarter against Oklahoma State. With the exception of two really nice drives against West Virginia in the first quarter against Oklahoma State, the last two games offensively has been really bad. And so it's fair to ask, hey, what about all these other things that we've seen work but have not been utilized during these times when Oklahoma's offense has been playing pretty bad? I don't know. Texas Tech. So OU and Texas Tech have the same exact record. OU going to Lubbock is a short two-point road favorite. Okay, I suppose that line is fair. It's fine. 
toss-up game, absolutely. Texas Tech, they've won a couple in a row. Tyler Shuck is playing quarterback for them. It would appear that he's the, the guy right now moving forward. He's effectively played the last two games. Look at their schedule. Tech hasn't lost to a bad team all year. They don't have a bad loss on their I mean, their, their worst loss, I guess, would be what, NC State? Probably, NC State's kind of bad. It, but like, they're seven but that's and not a, At the time, that wasn't a bad loss. At the time, yeah. And there's another one on there. Like, I mean, Oklahoma State kind of looks bad right now, but not really because Oklahoma State was playing its best football at that time of the season. So Oklahoma State was a top 10 team when they played. Uh, and it was in Stillwater. So Texas Tech's a, a solid football team. They got and nothing to lose either. They're already bowl eligible. They're going to go for it on fourth down 15 times on Saturday. I'm being hyperbolic, but like actually seriously. I agree with you. They probably will. The, th- the thing that makes me kind of happy about that, and I don't know, maybe this isn't fair because and it's kind of ignorant because I'll be honest, I haven't watched Texas Tech play that much at all this year. I, I saw a little bit of the, the Texas game, but that was a long time ago. Tyler Shuck wasn't playing, and I watched a decent amount of that Baylor game where they got smoked by Baylor, and uh, Baron Morton was awful. He was awful in that game, their quarterback. He's not playing anymore either. I haven't seen Tyler Shuck play much at all, and his numbers aren't anything special. They're not impressive, and he was the third stringer for most of the season. So, I, you know, I don't know. Like, Is he any good? I, yeah, the script has flipped a little no. bit. script has flipped a little bit at Texas Tech. I mean, their, their team has been totally driven by their defense this year. Their offense has been inconsistent. The quarterback position, their offensive line is bad. Uh, I think, you know, they're, Sir Roderick Thompson's been there for a long time. He's he's a pretty good player. Um, nobody's really emerged in the receiving core is kind of like their go-to guy. They got about six dudes who all have similar amount of targets. You know, I, it's they're not great on offense. They're not. Um, and so about Shuck, you know, I don't know. This, this is a guy who's been just, he's been hurt basically his entire career. Um, he's had he's had moments where he's gotten hot and you know I mean sometimes if you just kind of look at him in a vacuum he looks like a pretty talented guy throwing the ball sometimes uh, but then you know you look at his, his results his stats and everything and you're just like oh god this guy might suck <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing I mean he, he hadn't played all that much this season he's completing less than 60% of his passes that ain't good I think Donovan uh, Smith has the highest ceiling of all of their quarterbacks but that dude just turns the ball over like crazy yeah, he's got 12 picks, uh, 12 touchdowns, eight picks this year. Uh, yeah, we saw what uh, we saw Donovan Smith last year, right? Oh, you. Yeah, he's he's uh, yeah, he's tech. He, yeah, he played a majority of the game against in Norman last year, but I think he replaced whoever was starting who got hurt. Because yeah, it was the dude. Um, it was the same guy who started oh, against yeah, them in the name? Uh, the um, in the COVID year. Yeah, I can't think of his name right now. He's since transferred out somewhere, but I, I was never a big fan of Donovan Smith. I didn't think he was all that good either. He looked he looked good against OU at times. He was pretty good uh, in the that, in the in the last quarter of the season last year. I think is where a lot of the, and but then he didn't win the job. You know, in fall that was that was Shuck. So, you know, I, I think you know Texas Tech is is a team that I, I think really has relied one on just kind of you know going for going forward on fourth down. I mean, that's why they that's why they beat Texas. That's why, um, and then really they've just they, they've really relied on their on their defensive front seven. Um, I know we're talking about the offense right now, but their defensive front sevens is, is without their best player, probably without the best defensive player in the Big Twelve. Yeah, remind everybody who that is. That's Tyree Cause... Wilson, um, who is uh, yeah. he's a guy who flashed quite a bit last season when I watched, but he wasn't super consistent. He kind he's kind of put it all together this year. Uh, a lot of people think he's probably a top ten pick in the NFL draft. But uh, he's, he's like he's like six five, two sixty, moves really well. Um, 
leads the Big 12 in tackles for loss. And he is uh, he will not be available for Texas Tech. Broke a broke a bone in his foot, and he's going to start getting ready for the draft. Is he really considered a potential top ten pick? What's the deal with Texas Tech in the last handful of years churning out potential first round draft picks on defense? Uh, obviously, I'm talking about Jordan Brooks. Oh, Jordan Brooks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I. That's shocking. But yeah, I mean, you go look look at the dude. I mean, he's a he's a monster. I mean, you just look at just look at a picture of the guy. He's just he's massive. He's clearly an NFL dude. Man, the weather in Lubbock. I was looking at it's gonna be gonna be nasty potentially. Uh, high of only forty four on Saturday. Uh, granted, this is uh, you know what we were talking before the show. In my head, I was thinking eleven a.m. kick. No, no, no. This is a, this is a prime time kick. So uh, I think maybe the potential rain and stuff is only going to be going on during the day. So maybe by the night. The precipitation will dry up, but man, it's going to be cold. I mean, I, it's going to be cold. The sun's down, obviously. I mean, it'll probably be in the 30s in West Texas. You got about a 10 to 15 mile an hour wind. I'm not envious of those going to that game for work. I'll tell you that. Uh, it, it's going to probably be a little bit even worse than it was in, in Norman because I think the wind might be a little worse. Out, oh, heck, at West Texas, the wind's always bad. And, uh, and who knows? If there is precipitation, yeah, yikes. So how's that going to factor into the game? And we already saw Dylan Gabriel and OU's offense struggle in nasty weather in West Virginia. So I, so anyway, that's I mean that, that could be a part of the game, but we'll see how it is in the evening time there in Lubbock. Yeah, interesting. Um, this is one. I mean, this is kind of a this is one where I go in and I and I told you this before we started recruit or uh, recording. I think OU's defense has a pretty good matchup in this one. I think everything that Texas Tech does well, OU has kind of had an answer for this season, um, ex- except for you know efficiency on, on on third and fourth down. Even you know they've been their their defense has been okay on third down this year. It's it's fourth down they've been hideous. So we'll uh, I don't know we'll we'll see. But it's a team Texas Tech that's not that hasn't really been too explosive in the run game. Hasn't really been able to lean on their offensive line to churn out the tough yards, which I think we would all agree has been the thing that is. When, when OU has been fully healthy and not in some sort of weird flute game, that's, that's been kind of the kryptonite to their defense, a, a team that can, that can competently run the ball. And uh, Texas Tech this season really hasn't technically been that. They're a team that really more has relied on the drop-back passing game, which, I, I, you know, since the Texas game, Lee, and I guess they kind of got shredded a little bit by Jason Bean, uh, but since that game, no one's really been able to throw it on OU. At least efficiently, they haven't been able to. I mean, Baylor got it in in certain spots where they needed it, but that was mostly a running game for yeah, Baylor. But Shapen yeah, but Shapin also, yeah, but Shapin barely threw for over a hundred yards, threw a pick, didn't didn't even complete fifty percent of his passes. Yeah. Um. They, yeah, I, yeah. So how much of West that? Virginia hit three passes the entire game? Uh, but I mean, Spencer Sanders needed sixty-seven pass attempts to get his yardage. So the thing is, you look at the, the, yeah, that Kansas game was bad. I mean, they got, the defense was bad in that game. I mean, Bean was throwing it around. I know, like, we debated it afterwards that on a play-to-play basis, it, it, I don't think maybe it was as bad as the numbers suggested. But, I, I mean, there were still plays where it was like, that, that should not be happening. But they got some turnovers. They played complimentary football, like people always talk about. And, and they were able to spread and kind of run away from Kansas or at least separate from Kansas but since then okay so what I'm trying to get at is that the best offense they've faced I guess it's either Baylor or Oklahoma State and so I guess what it comes down to is 
Where do you think Oklahoma State is right now? Because I think it's pretty obvious they're not anywhere near as good as they were in the first, let's say, six games of the year. But Spencer Sanders, again, he's banged up. But he played, played the full game. Uh, didn't seem like, I don't know, like it didn't seem like he was really injured as far as like he, he, I don't know if he was really favoring anything. I don't know what's hurt on him. He played the full game. And Oklahoma defended him, as you were talking about before we heated up the microphones, defended him really well compared to how other teams have defended Spencer Sanders. So I guess the thought is, in my mind, since the Kansas game, they've always played a lot of bad offenses and they've had some success on defense. So it's nice to see that at least this OU defense this year is not giving up a lot of points and yards to suspect offenses. Like I feel like the Alex Grinch defenses did from time to time. Granted, here and there against West Virginia, they let the quarterback run too much. That was frustrating. Yeah, Lee, I'm, uh, oh, this was, that was by far, that was the first time that Spencer Sanders has, has started a game this season in which a team held Oklahoma State under 31 points. Okay. So you got to ask yourself, I think this is important. If you think Oklahoma State's offense with Spencer Sanders playing a full game right now is, is still pretty good, uh, then that makes Oklahoma's performance against the Cowboys that much better and should make you even more optimistic going against Texas Tech team who I who offensively is is not really anything special right now maybe earlier in the year they were playing a lot better uh, they were scoring more points with uh, different quarterbacks but I don't think Tyler Shuck's really shown the ability yet at least early on in the last couple of games to do a whole lot I mean they did put up a lot of points against Kansas though I will say but Kansas's defense as you pointed out over by, and over and over by Kansas far is a, the worst in the league I, it's so terrible they put up 43 against Kansas a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Shuck was 20 of 33 for 246 and one touchdown. So not anything crazy, but he did run a lot. I guess I didn't know Shuck could run. Shuck had 12 carries for 76 yards in that game and a touchdown. Yeah, so and, okay. and that's you know that's the thing you gotta look out for then because uh, definitely on tape, definitely on tape, man. Freaking quarterback draw is gonna be there, I and mean, we didn't see that as much from Oklahoma State as I anticipated. I would assume because Spencer Sanders probably wasn't fully healthy. Yet he did when he needed to. He, he did move pretty good. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he yeah, was, there able, was to, a lot of he's able to break the yeah. pocket pretty pretty easily the entire game. It felt like. But what a weird box score! I was looking at last week. Tech beat Iowa State in Ames, fourteen to ten, super low scoring game. Texas Tech only managed two hundred and forty six yards of offense. That defense, the Red Raiders defense, gave up four twenty two to Iowa State. Iowa State four twenty two didn't turn the ball over. Only scored 10 points. Missed field goals. Had to be, right? Missed field goals and turno- kicker was uh, turnover on their downs. Kicker, their kicker missed two field goals. Yeah, and I mean, on fourth down, they were one of three. So there you go. I mean, I guess that's technically two turnovers in a way right there. But man, I mean, what a weird box score. Time of possession, Iowa State had the ball for 36 minutes. They lost the game at home. They only scored 10 points. That's weird, man. That's, Iowa State's bad. Help yeah, their, they got to help their defense out. No, Iowa State's offense is bad. Their defense is great. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so Shuck can run the ball a little bit. And he ran it 14 times against Iowa State. And that's something, again, I haven't seen him play this year. I haven't seen Texas Tech play much at all. So I, I didn't know that. So you look at the box scores. Think back to Garrett Green. Garrett Green ran it for over 100 yards on OU a couple weeks ago. I want to say whoever West Virginia, whoever West Virginia just played this past week, uh, K State, I believe, or a week or two ago. Yeah, K State. K State didn't give up anything to Garrett Green. He had like 19 yards rushing. You know, it just shows you the difference in 
don't know. But it's, also, I mean, that was on tape, and that was true. That was that's and, true. and it was obvious. That's all West Virginia had. That is the only way they could have moved the ball. That's is a good him point. running. And so I'm sure that's Kansas State went into that game thinking, yeah, we just keep this guy in the pocket, and he's screwed. All right, so I mean, we haven't really been picking OU game. We haven't been giving us you know our thoughts. It's just we talk about the game, we move on. I mean, OU minus two. It's a, it's a toss up game, and I, my question is, man, I think back to this is apples to oranges, I'm sure, but I just think the 2009 when o, OU's defense was great, and they got just absolutely drubbed by Texas Tech in Lubbock late in the year. Might have been the last game of the season or second to last game. Second of the to year. last. So, I mean, on the road, though. So, like, when OU goes on the road in Lubbock late in the year, I just – in a season where they're not going to go to the Big 12 title game, they're not playing for a playoff spot, you know, they just got that senior day, nice bedlam win. This is a letdown spot textbook-wise for Oklahoma, even though it's the last game of the year. Weather could be crappy. They're already making a bowl game. They know that. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully the team has more pride than that. And I, I do think the team cares – uh, I, I, I do think they want to win. It's just you know, they're college kids. At some point, you know, you think you're good to go. You think you're ready. You think you've done enough, and maybe you haven't because you just don't know yet. And this is a situation that you talked about a little bit ago. I mean, Texas Tech's going to go all out. they got nothing to lose here. It's their senior day. It's their last game. They're, you know, they could smell blood in the water against an Oklahoma team. I, when was the last time Texas Tech beat Oklahoma? I don't even know. What's up? You still there? Oh, I'm here. Do you know the last time, uh, off the top of your head, the last time Texas Tech beat OU? I'm trying to remember. Uh, yes, it was um, 2011. Oh, that was Tommy Tuberville? After the three-hour rain delay, OU was number two in the country. Or, um, I think they were number three by that time because LSU and Bama had jumped them. But, uh, yeah, weird game. Everyone was hurt. Just sucked. Terrible game. So there you go. I mean, you got a you got a bunch of guys that have never beaten OU. I'm sure that they all know that it's been a long time since they beat OU. Now they get a, an OU team that's way down. And you know, you talked about how Oklahoma State they should have been feeling like they can take down OU and, and win Bedlam in back to back years, and they couldn't figure it out. Now Texas Tech has the advantage of being at home. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a game where. I certainly think Oklahoma should win the football game. Uh, they're a better football team than Texas Tech, even in a down year. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually kind of confident in the defense, which is weird. It's, it's nice to know that lately OU's defense has played pretty well to great, and Texas Tech's offense right now is kind of struggling. It's not as good as it was in the first half of the year. So I like the idea of the defense hopefully staying consistent, playing well, uh, playing well in coverage, getting some turnovers. It's just – now the offense is the question mark. And so is it all going to come together finally, Grant, in this final regular season game and the offense will play well, the defense will play well, and oh, you can laugh their way to a 7-5 and five record into whatever decent bowl game they're going to? I don't know, but probably uh, that's not. why we're going to watch the game. It'll probably be uneven, as vast majority of their games have been. But, you know, I hope not. Yeah, I hope they're able to kind of bottle the energy from the first quarter of Bedlam. But we'll see. And, yeah, I'm... I'm I got I got a lot more confidence in the defense going into this one, and uh, I mean that's what happens when you play when you play really well. I mean that was I mean, that's the best game they've played defensively in a really long time. I, I mean, if you would have told me that before that that they were going to face 102 snaps and only give up 13 points, I, I mean again, and Spencer Sanders would have played the entire game. 
I would have told you, oh crap, that may have been the best game they've played since Venables was here first. I want to see Billy Bowman make some more plays, man. Back there at safety. I want to see him flying around more. That's why I want to see this one. And I think I'm a, I'm a huge. I think they've found a really good. They've settled in on their secondary. I think the secondary is playing really well. Colden and Woody on the outside, uh, with kind of a, a with you know basically Billy Key and and Broyles at, at the safety positions. I, they're playing well. I, I think I think they're playing really well. So it'd be nice if and we talked. I'd be man. It'd be nice if if those two corners come back next year. Uh, and if this can kind of be their their um, their core in the secondary, I think that it can be pretty salty because this is about four games in a row now. I think they've played pretty well. Yeah, and I do believe that um, both C.J. Colden and Woody Washington went through senior day festivities, pregame festivities on Saturday. So we'll see. We'll see if because I you were texting me, C.J. Colden could potentially come back. Does he have a? So he like, has. So this is his sixth year of college. He redshirted in 2017. Um, of course, the COVID year does not count. But the kicker with C.J. Colden is that he only played in three games total in 2018 and 2019. And typically when that is the case, the NCAA will grant you a medical redshirt in those instances. So C.J. Colden still has an avenue of petitioning the NCAA for an extra year of eligibility, which I think there's probably a pretty good shot at that being approved. Uh, Woody Washington has just has another year left where he can go, no, like because of the COVID year. So, um, I'm sure. I don't know about Colden. I would guess Woody probably depends on what sort of draft grade he gets. And as of right now, he's he's undrafted. He's not going to get drafted. I can't find anything wrong with any of those statements. I'm with you, and hopefully you're correct about C.J. Colden. He's a player that I can't imagine he would get drafted either, especially if he has a kind of a, like an injury history like that. So, yeah, that'd be awesome if he can get a medical redshirt and come back, especially with the, the momentum that he's uh, gained for himself here towards the end of this season. Yeah, he, he has also been totally healthy three consecutive seasons now, though. So he played every game for Wyoming. He started every game for Wyoming in, in 20 and 21. All right, let's switch over to the Big 12, the rest of the Big 12 slate. Baylor is at Texas. We're going to talk about that one coming up when we make our weekly picks. This is an interesting line. West Virginia is at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's laying eight and a half. It almost that tells me that, you know what? I think Spencer Sanders he's good to go. Like he's is he fully healthy or, or am I totally, uh, would it be underrating or overrating West Virginia? I mean they're not a good football team, but eight and a half seems like a lot a lot of points. And so maybe they okay oh, Spencer Sanders good to go. Uh, yeah, I don't like so, I don't I don't like that line. But I I mean I don't why wouldn't Spencer Sanders play? Like, I'll be honest, he looked totally he looked one hundred percent healthy to me on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, and I'm sure I, he's I not. What it's just that. like his injury is to his non throwing shoulder. So I think a lot of that is just how how like how good he is at managing pain and playing through pain. You know what? Now I'm looking at that. Why did I think that was weird? I guess that makes sense. That that number eight and a half. I think it's weird because oh, Oklahoma oh. State's defense is bad. And they also Maybe have not been it, playing yeah. well. Hasn't, hasn't, they've, Oklahoma State's lost four of their last five. That's just a big number. Iowa State's at TCU. TCU. How about TCU's uh, old Sonny Dykes' clock management at the end of that game against Baylor, man? It's, it's still, they still won the game, but that was, that was bizarre. It, him deciding to, with I think it was 22 seconds left, 
Clock stopped, no timeouts. They ran the football and then sprinted the field goal unit on the field and barely got off the game-winning kick where uh, I believe the it would have made a lot more sense for them <laughs> because I think they spiked it. They spiked it on second down. So they on first down, they picked up, I don't know, what like five or six yards or whatever it was, clock running. And with, I think they had, yeah, yeah, they had no timeouts. So on second down, instead of running a play on second down, they spiked it on second down to stop the clock, which they burned it down there. With no timeouts, though, in 22 seconds, you thought is, okay, well, they got to throw the ball here on third down because if they run it and the clock keeps keeps going, they can't stop it, and they're going to have a really tough time getting the field goal unit out. It, it worked out, and the only thing that can explain it is exactly what Sonny Dyke said in the postgame interview right afterwards, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we practice that all the time. We practice that all the time. And my thing is like, you know what? If he is actually telling the truth and they legitimately practice a scenario where, you know, X amount of time is on the clock and we got we can still get our field goal unit out there. And if they really do practice that, then you know what? I buy it. But I have a hard time believing that they practice that all the time. I mean, it went really smooth. They, I mean, they did True. a... True. It, it looked very hectic, of course, but I mean, it went really smooth. Here is my question while watching that, and I and I didn't see it live. I, I was at I was at the the Gopher game, so I had to, the catch up, you know, after the fact. Could Baylor have substituted there and ran out the clock? <gasps> oh, it's a great. I I, a great I wonder question. if there is a because obviously obviously Baylor's or obviously TCU subbed to get everyone out there. Oh my God! Was, a great is the question. Is the is the ref in that situation technically supposed to go and stand over the ball? Wow, because That's a like great unless, question. Unless there's some sort of weird thing saying that on a field goal, it's that doesn't apply. Unless or or maybe there's something where it's like under two minutes that doesn't apply or something like that. I don't know, but I, I thought that was an interesting question. Did you steal that from somebody? I I was no, I I was thinking that in the entire. I've been ever since that. Ever since Kansas State got OU on that, I have been watching that with eagle eyes the entire season and like pointing out areas where OU should obviously be doing that. I don't know. Every team should be doing that, taking advantage of that crap all the time. Yeah. I may have to look into that. That's a great point because, yeah, you're, if, that's, if it's the same thing, even on a field goal attempt, Baylor subs there, the game's over. <laughs> the clock runs out. Uh, yeah, wow! That's, the, the ref goes and stands over the ball. If you're Baylor, all you got to do is just is just have two guys walking on and off simultaneously. Just walk at a crawl. Because that was the what the K State game, right? That was the K State game, game where OU, yep, OU made the decision to sub and the play clock ran out, and that was just it was and it was not necessary to sub at the time either. It's dumb. Uh, anyways, Iowa State K, TCU man, this shows you how much respect Iowa State's defense is getting a TCU at home only laying 10 against a bad Iowa State team and the total I think is only 42 so there's a lot of respect for Iowa State's defense yeah TCU is not it's it's not like TCU has ran and, and ran and hid from the rest of the Big 12 I mean they've the only team that they have they have blown out is OU yeah and that was a very unusual circumstance obviously with uh, Dylan Gabriel who was not playing well before he got injured but again like if Dylan Gabriel plays that entire game, it, that final score is not whatever it was. OU would, would have been able to figure out something. Yeah, I think it, it would have been like 56 to 42 or something, I bet. Something like that. Yeah. A little more respectable. Old school, uh, 
early Lincoln Riley days. How about where he was this, the OC Lee? And I saw some. I uh, saw someone on Twitter bring this up today. Iowa State, which is very likely to finish in last place in the Big Twelve this year, I called that. By the way, um, <laughs> uh, Lee, they beat Iowa, the team that is very likely going to be the Big Ten West champion. Of course, in the year that I finally picked Iowa to beat Iowa State because I always want Iowa State to win. The Cyclones finally do beat Iowa, but it's a year where Iowa State's awful. Just it's more examples of how I just know nothing about college football, and I should probably remember that moving forward. Just I mean, that was humbling. a that was a coin flip game. It was, but in the past, and you know, ever since this podcast has existed. I feel like Iowa State's always kind of have a better team than Iowa, and Iowa always just bullies them and manhandles them and wins that game. It says, I, I guess, at a certain point, though, you have to kind of, or at least this is me, you just accept that Iowa has been winning games like that for 25 years now. So it's, it's just clearly how they want to win. Oh, I have, yeah, there was, yeah, never mind. We'll, I can't remember this well enough to get into it, so I'll just move on to the next game. Kansas and Kansas State. Was this the, uh, the Sunflower Showdown or whatever the heck they bill this rivalry game as? K-State is an 11.5-point home favorite. Wildcats had a good season. Uh, I guess Jalen Daniels came back, so uh, he did play, but Kansas got run by Texas last week. I, don't, I mean, I didn't see any of the game, so I don't know if he looked healthy or not or, if, or what, but uh, Kansas, yeah, Kansas is... Kansas, I mean, they're better than they have been before, but whether they, I mean, they're going to finish what probably six and six. Yeah, they're they six and five right now. So I hope they yeah, don't. They'll, they'll finish six and six. I hope they, they don't upset, upset Kansas State. State because then Texas will play in the Big Twelve Championship, and nobody wants to see that. <laughs> All right, so to our picks, and last week, not a bad week. I went three one and one. You went two two and one. The the one where we differed on that got me to you know a third win instead of uh, only two, was, gosh, what was it? What was the game? Oh, Arkansas. Arkansas and Ole Miss. I was on Arkansas, even though in a real-life contest I always play it every year, I changed my pick to Ole Miss. So I didn't even benefit off of my podcast pick. So, again, I'm a moron. Know nothing about football. And uh, you just, just to be different, you went against USC because I think you just say, yeah, I'm going to go UCLA. You should just stuck with USC. Uh Stupid USC, man. My, they are. Uh, I just. It's. I'm so irritated that they are. They. They are just. They are just. They're a Lincoln Riley team. And you know what? This is. They're gonna make the playoff. It's because it's. It's gonna. It's gonna follow the exact same script as it always did at OU. You know, it's just impressive that he was able to do that in year one. I gotta say, I gotta give him credit. Uh, I mean, the Pac-12 is not very good. Uh, they've only played. This is. I think Notre Dame is going to be the second ranked team they played maybe no third because ucla was ranked they beat ucla uh so that's not fair yeah so but i mean they've taken care of business their defense is awful uh, they've had a lot of turnover luck but the defense is awful but the offense is great and they've gotten through they got through a little bit of a stretch where jordan addison was injured mario williams was injured heck uh their great running back die didn't play against ucla and they scored 48 didn't have any problems they can score, and Caleb Williams is awesome. And now that I can't cash my USC under nine and a half ticket, I'll be honest. Like, I kind of, I kind of want to see them beat Notre Dame because I, I also have a ticket for Caleb Williams to win the Heisman. <laughs> so I think he's the favorite now. 
So I mean, I saw, that, I that saw could, some. He's like real. Him and Stroud are kind of like neck and him neck. Him and Stroud. Okay. I just man, what if? And and I don't really care about the Heisman that much anymore. But man, if C.J. Stroud wins the Heisman, what of what? Easily one of the most forgettable Heisman's ever. Yeah. yeah. He was. He, I mean, he'd win. The, he was so much better last year than he's been this year. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about USC Notre Dame here in a second, but uh, we'll start with... I don't understand why they don't just, like, just give it to Stetson Bennett. Why, why don't you just give it to Stetson Bennett? I'd be cool with that. I have a Stetson Bennett ticket, too. That would, uh, that would get close to erasing all of the losses from yeah, mine, just being totally wrong about OU and USC. Yeah, my, my, my top three right now would be, would be Bennett, Caleb Williams, and probably Blake Corum at, at Michigan. See, but, I mean... I get the Stetson Bennett thing, but Caleb Williams by far is more valuable to his team than Stetson Bennett is. I mean, Caleb Williams is the reason why USC is what ten and one. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, you're not. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. I I think Caleb Williams is the best player in the country. I I don't. He is. It's just. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm just not ready to not ready to give it to him yet. Yeah, and one of my favorite topics that's going to be that's kind of i hear it every once in a while when i listen to sports talk podcasts and whatnot is and just sports fans in general nfl fans or whatever you know there's always the talk about who's going to be the next quarterback drafted you know which teams are going to want quarterbacks in the draft and if you're a team right now and you're looking for a quarterback if i'm you i'm not looking to this next draft class for any like sort of like you you want to look towards two drafts from now and you want caleb williams that like that that's the guy you want he is so good. I think he is so much better than Bryce Young. I think he's so much better than C.J. Stroud. Uh, I and then you got, I know we talked about Drake May recently. I haven't seen him play yet. I know he's in Caleb Williams's class, so that's another guy that you know I need to he check just, him he out. He needs but to. He neuters himself sometimes with his unwillingness to run. Sometimes. Caleb Williams. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And uh, you know his his stats like his completion percentage sometimes is a little low and. It's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of whatever, but he's just such a dynamic player. He's so smart and just smooth, man. And he, he's, he's so good. And, I mean, with Stroud, I think, I don't know. I've never been a big fan of Stroud. I know you kind of threw out the, the Landry Jones, whatever, Ohio State, which he's, he's obviously he's be- better than Landry Jones. He's but, better than Landry Jones, but I think, it's, I think it's an apt comparison. The guy is – I think it's just he's, just he's kind of like a system guy. I don't really – I don't know. I mean, maybe he, he's got a good size and everything like that. I just – he doesn't get me excited. Yeah, ball explodes Young, out of his hand. That helps. That always helps. You got to have a good arm. And then with Bryce Young, I think he's a, like I think you might have mentioned on the podcast, or maybe you mentioned to me off offline. He's a gamer. Like he he he's a guy that he's Colt McCoy. Seems like he he's pretty smart. But I just his I don't like his size, and I don't think his arms all that great. And and he's he's playing with a bunch of awesome players at Alabama. Not a big Bryce Young guy at the next level. Uh, compared to those two guys, compared to Caleb Williams. Oh my God! I don't think it's really close. Uh, if so, the whole thing is going to be about this upcoming draft. Who's going to take Bryce Young? Who's going to take C.J. Stroud? I know Will Levis is out there. Blah blah blah. But man, if you're an NFL fan and your team needs a, needs a quarterback, you got to be looking towards. I bet it's going to end up uh, being like the next in this second, class. Uh, yeah, I I bet the guy who ends up rising to the top once like they're actually in the league. This is a total hot take. It's going to be like Grayson McCall or something. Oh yeah, from uh, from Coastal God, Carolina. Coastal, yeah. Man, I have not seen them one time. Like, did, does anybody talk about them? They're having a pretty good year, aren't they? I haven't heard from Coastal at all. I, I don't think they year. play anybody. They're, they're, still, they're still new in Division One, and so I think, like, and you know, I mean, the schedules are made. 
decades in advance. So I don't know. I think maybe they they just they just haven't really played really difficult schedules yet. Even though I mean they did have the because they they were the they were the other team in that in the COVID year when when they they played BYU on like three days notice, which was cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're nine and one. Uh, they were supposed to play Virginia last week, but yeah, we know what happened with that. Uh, oh god! And now they're playing. Yeah, yeah and uh, now they got James Madison this week. And hold on, I just had this up. They're on the road. <laughs> wow, they're <laughs> James Madison's had a good season. They're two touchdown dogs to James Madison. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, let's start our pick. So our first game, Baylor and Texas. We'll talk about this a little bit. Interesting line here, Grant. Uh, Texas laying eight and a half at home against a good Baylor team. What this line kind of stinks to me. Why is it so big? I that almost it's. Should I be taking Texas here because it should not be laying eight and a half? I feel like against Baylor. See, I'm actually I'm so conflicted on this one because I'm actually going to be able to put money on this one because I'm going to be in Kansas on Friday. Yeah, but the game's at 11 a.m. Oh, yeah, this is a, a Friday game. Will you be in Kansas before 11 a.m.? Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Kansas tomorrow night after Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, by the way, yeah, you, I don't can, put, you can place wagers in Kansas. Yeah, yeah it, it's all about fun for me. I'm not, I'm not taking Texas to cover. I'll, I'll take Baylor. But, yeah, I, I do think that the line is fishy. Uh, Sharps are probably going to take Texas here. I mean, it's... This this line probably should be just again like not an expert on this, and I know I told I think it was I think it's Brett West Vera's listener Brett I'm pretty sure you're the one that's that's asked us maybe to talk more about sports betting and everything that goes into it and you know maybe in the off season that can be a show I, you know, I guess we can talk about certain things and again like we're far from experts but it's one of those things where we've just picked up a lot of stuff over the years just following it anyways I say all that to say. This number, I think, just based off of everything I know about sports betting and these teams are the way they are, this probably should be Texas six and a half, like right under a touchdown to make you kind of think, or seven and a half to make you think, oh, but the, the extra point, the, ex, the eight and a hook is it's just weird. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, Texas just blew out Kansas. Baylor almost beat TCU, probably should have beaten TCU. So, I mean, Baylor's kind of struggling. They're not playing good football right now. I mean... Maybe it's a letdown spot in a way after, you know, everything they let everything out against TCU and still lost, and now it's like, oh, I gotta go on the road against Texas. Texas is playing for a chance to go to the Big Twelve title game. They gotta win, so and I mean they're gonna know because I think K State they play the night the next night. So I mean Texas they're not gonna know uh, K State what they're gonna do. So I mean if they beat Baylor, then Kansas State's gonna have to beat Kansas. So yeah, I mean there's a lot to play for for Texas. I'm gonna go Texas here and lay the eight and a half. You're picking Baylor, but it's a weird line, I think. Oh, it's super, yeah, super weird. I'm, I'm going full enjoyment on this one. I just, I don't want to. I'd feel dirty if I, if I pick Texas, because I'd have to, I'd have to cheer for that to happen. And I, I don't. I'm not going to sell myself yeah. for the money. Next game, I, you know, I had a tough time. There was some obvious ones to pick. Four pretty obvious games to pick. I thought I couldn't pick a fifth, and so I settled on this one. And it's, it's kind of interesting because we have history with. Spencer Rattler. So South Carolina, who just upset Tennessee, Spencer Rattler had the best game of his college career. Now they're going on the road to Clemson, number eight Clemson, 
and the Tigers are laying 14 and a half. And I think this is a situation where you better believe I'm going to totally fade Spencer Rattler one week after he just had a massive career game uh, going against a good defense in Clemson. I don't like the hook, but I, I got to take Clemson here minus the 14 and a half. We are, we are of the same mindset here entirely. Of course you fade Spencer Rattler going into this one. 100% all day long. And Clemson, they're still kind of they're they're lurking for a playoff spot. I mean, and they got to win. They got to you know they got to get some some bonus points here. Some uh, what do they call them? Some uh, show point like when you try to impress people. Didn't they just call that something? Am I making that style up? Style points. Am I having a str- style points? Thank you. <laughs> impress points. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go Clemson. I wish it was fourteen and not fourteen and a half, but that's why the number is fourteen and a half because it's making you pay a little bit of a a premium on Clemson there, uh, you know, because they know that people are going to want to fade South Carolina after that big win over Tennessee. Next up, the game Michigan at Ohio State, and this is effectively a playoff game, right? Uh, both teams are unbeaten, number three versus number two. Ohio State minus seven and a half, and obviously Michigan knocked off upset Ohio State a year ago at the big house and so this is one of those games where it's the public I'm not sure where the public will be on maybe Joe Schmo will see Michigan catching points and they'll think oh that's a really good team catching points I'll do it but after last year the way it went down and the way Michigan celebrated and how everything went down you know they beat up on Ohio State Ohio State's been obviously waiting for this game for a full year to get revenge and so I, I'll i grab Ohio State. It's probably the, the uh, God, what's the right word? I'm, I'm having a tough time today. What's another word for like the average Joe or like the layman's pick or like the, like everybody's going to be picking this team. So like it's kind of a lame pick. Oh, it's, I would it's always, not, oh, I would always refer to them as, as the rubes. The rubes. That's not what I'm thinking of though. It's whatever the opposite of sharp is, which I'm failing right now. So maybe, Brett, the, we're not the, the best people to talk about the sports public, betting. The betting public. The public. Thank you. Thank you. That's another one that you're helping me out. So I'm going to go Ohio State just because the way the last, you know, last year went, Ohio State got embarrassed by Michigan. Uh, this is a huge game. I mean, like, I was listening, I listened to Brady Quinn on his radio show, and he does it with LeVar Arrington. I've talked about it before on the show. And uh, obviously, he played for Notre Dame, but uh, like, he knows people. He's from Ohio. Like, some people. A lot of people in both those fan bases, if they had to pick between beating Michigan or beating Ohio State and winning the national title, some people would pick beating the rival instead. That's how big of a deal it is, which is, I think that's stupid, but that's college football for you. So I'm going to go Ohio State minus the points. Grant, where are you? I think, I yeah, I think betting principles dictate you take Ohio State here because I don't, I think that seven and a half line didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and so, and it, you know, talking about betting principles, kind of like where, where our thought process is there home favorite, especially two teams that you perceive as fairly even, um, if the line is higher than you think it should be a lot of the times that people, you know, I, I'll think to myself, maybe Vegas is telling us something there. Maybe they think Ohio state is actually a lot better than Michigan. And, and, you know, my perception doesn't necessarily match reality. And so it's like, I'm, it's, it's like, it's like we're, we're trusting the experts in the room with that one. And so, um, and then also, I do think you see number two versus number three. This is another betting principle that a lot of people like. The betting public, I really feel like if 
and it may not be overwhelming, but I think it's probably going to be on Michigan on this one because they're going to see a line over a touchdown and two teams that are undefeated, number two and number three. And so, oh gosh, they're not that far apart. So let's let's hammer the the underdog there. Um, that's just a layman's way of looking at it. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it's tough. You know, Michigan still can't really throw the ball, which I think is a problem. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know. It's uh, Ohio State's defense is really good now, though, and that was kind of their problem last year was that they were they were susceptible to getting pushed around a little bit, and that that just doesn't seem to be the case at all this year. They've they, it kind of seems like they've leaned on their defense a lot this year. And both teams were were pushed last week. I mean, Michigan almost lost Illinois. I mean, Illinois is a good football team, and Maryland pushed Ohio State. So both teams, you could argue, were looking ahead. You know, almost got knocked off. Uh, and you know, also Michigan's running back, Blake Corum, he's banged up. Not sure if he's going to play. What's his status? I know he's a really good player. I've been told haven't watched Michigan play much at all this year, but I know that's a, a, a storyline going in this game as well. That also could maybe factor into that number. Although traditionally running backs aren't going to be worth that many points in the point spread. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I think he's one of the best running backs in college football. I think he's been kind of talked about as a potential Heisman candidate. So, yeah, I mean, he's, maybe a big, he's worth he's, he's been an explosive a half a point or a point. guy. So, yeah, maybe he's worth a half a point or maybe one point. You know, maybe this line six and a half if he's if he's fully healthy. I don't know. But normally running backs aren't worth that many points. Quarterbacks, obviously, are the, you know, they will totally swing a, a betting line. As a lot of you probably know that, but many of you haven't followed betting much. Not surprisingly, like if Dylan Gabriel was announced out before this upcoming Tech game and it was going to be Davis Bevel, that number would go from OU minus two to Texas Tech probably laying six or seven. Eh, maybe not that much. Yeah, yeah, actually, probably, yeah, because everyone's seen how David, how Oklahoma's offense has been uh, with Davis Bevel in there. So that's kind of the, that's the huge thing when it comes to betting lines and injuries and, and who will play. All right, so you're, we're both on Ohio State. You, you take the Buckeyes? Okay. We're both on Ohio State, minus 7.5. Go to the Pac-12. I'll be honest, don't have many thoughts on this one. It's just it's two top 25 teams in a rivalry game, Oregon and Oregon State. Number 9, Oregon. Number 21, Oregon State. At, you know, at Oregon State in Corvallis. And Oregon is a three-point road favorite. And Oregon just coming off a, a nice win where they beat Utah, I believe. They covered, you know, they beat Utah by three. They actually they pushed. If you got Oregon at minus two and a half, congratulations. You know what? Based off of the fact that Oregon just played a, a tough game against Utah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the field goal. I'm gonna take Oregon State plus the points playing in Corvallis. Oregon State's a, a pretty good football team, rivalry game. I'd obviously I'd love it to be three and a half. I'd feel a lot better about that. But uh, getting a full field goal at home with a with a team that I think is a good team in a rival game, I'll take Oregon State. What do you think? Man, a game that Oregon has got to win to play USC in the Pac-12 championship game next weekend. It's a tough one, though. So I, based on the number, I want Oregon State. But I, I, I think that a game like this, man, that number is so low. It would be, gosh, yeah, if Oregon won by a field goal, it would be a push. I'm going to take Oregon because I, I think Oregon's good. And, and also, Oregon is, my, is still my Pac-12 champion pick. Okay. So you take an Oregon minus the field goal. Back-to-back games where Oregon's been favored by a field goal. By the way, Oregon State's playing some good football right now. They've, well, they've won back-to-back games. They beat Cal and Arizona State in blowout fashion. Um, they did exactly what they needed to do 
Uh, they're a, they're a field goal away from being on a six game winning streak right now. They they lost to Washington in Seattle by three. Washington plays in Seattle, right? Am I making that up? Yeah, you're right. I think they're in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, so Oregon State's been playing some good football. They're Oregon State's eight and three. Wow, they're having a good year. They've been their only losses are against the three teams they probably should have lost to USC, Utah, and then Washington was kind of a toss up game, but it was on the road. But by far, aside from those three teams, Oregon's easily the, the best team they played. Finally, Notre Dame, USC. And this is kind of a weird line. Uh, weird in the sense that you don't see five and a half a lot. USC, five and a half point home favorites. Here's my handicap of this one. I do not trust Lincoln Riley, a Lincoln Riley team. I, they'll probably win the game, but... Covering more, more than a field goal, not quite a touchdown, but more than a field goal uh, after playing such a tight, close game. Uh, they're, granted, they're at home, but Notre Dame's a good football team. Notre Dame's starting to play a little bit better. Uh, and I just, I feel like I've seen, I, I say Lincoln Riley teams, it's basically OU. I've seen OU go, and granted, it's under a touchdown, so it's a lot more of a, there's a better chance they cover, but I, I'm going to, you know, more than a field goal, Notre Dame's a, a, a good team with, I, I would guess Notre Dame's defense is solid and might be able to, to give USC some problems. And the fact that USC's defense is so bad, maybe Notre Dame, even though Notre Dame's offense is very hit and miss, you know, I will take, take the points. I'll take the plus five and a half. Although I, I will say, though, like I said earlier, at this point, I kind of hope USC just kind of wins and Caleb Williams wins the Heisman Trophy and I can recoup some of my losses for being totally wrong about everything this college football season. So I'll go Notre Dame. I think you go USC on this one, Lee. The Lincoln Riley's bitter to OU is that he was great as a single-digit favorite, terrible as a double-digit favorite. Remember, and I did so, the math on that one time. So it's I yeah I'll, yeah. I'll take USC, and I'm it's, it's it sucks. I don't I don't want them to have success. I don't want Caleb Williams to win the Heisman. Just just to say that I was right. I, I don't want any of that. This is from this perspective, from the OU and USC perspective thing. This has been a this this season has sucked. It sucks. Oh, actually, you know, here you go. I, I take it back. Yeah, so I hope Notre Dame wins. I hope Caleb Williams gets knocked out of the Heisman race. I hope that, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud has a tough game and doesn't look very good against Michigan. And old Stetson Bennett just balls out the last couple of games. Uh, the, the final game of the year, the SEC title, and they're like, oh, man, Stetson Bennett out of nowhere, and he wins the Heisman Trophy. And that's how I recoup losses for being right, uh, wrong about everything else. How about that? That's a that's a that's a more fun scenario for me. Or even gosh, even Stetson Bennett. And like this is this is kind of a joke. To, I don't know if I'm totally serious, but why not just give it to Max Duggan if they go 13 or no? Yeah, why is there's he just not like there's no obvious. Like I'm sure. Like I bet this is a season where I'm sure the best the best quote unquote player in the country, if if it's possible to say such a thing, is probably on the defensive side of the ball anyway. Anyway. And so he's not going to have the numbers to do it. So, like, uh, just just give it to the best story. If I mean, that's what we wanted in 2000 with Hypo. And, like, Winky absolutely should have won over Hypo, but Hypo would have been a better story. True. Man, Duggan's got some pretty good numbers, man. 26 touchdown passes, only three picks. Rushing-wise, eh. not as many rushing fine. yards as I thought. They're okay. Yeah, they're. I figured his rushing numbers would be better, but. But not. like I don't know, it's just like anything to prevent, like the like just the whole like this 
CJ Stroud, like basically everyone just being like, oh, okay, I guess we'll give it to CJ Stroud. That's lame. No, like no one is going to be enthusiastic for, for voting for CJ Stroud. All right, so uh, the last thing is totally random before we get going. <laughs> I Every once in a while, you know, we don't, you know, I'll, I'll go and look at iTunes and you know, I haven't asked you all for, you know, ratings and reviews in a while and that's fine. You know, if, if you want to give us a rating, a five-star rating, a review, that's great. Uh, you know, I use Spotify mostly now. Uh, I don't listen to, I don't use iTunes for podcasts, but I know a lot of you still do. I just didn't like the way the iTunes podcast is working. Any, anyways, we have the, by far the most ratings and reviews on iTunes, which we appreciate very much so. I, I always, every, like every once in a while, I'll be curious if we have any more ratings or reviews on iTunes and I'll go back and check. And there's this one review that it's, it's from 2020. So it's, it's a long time ago, but I, I just, I want to bring it up on the show because I think, I think it's funny and I, you know, it's it makes me kind of wonder where like what shows and what podcasts this guy listens to because I want to listen to the shows that this guy listens to because uh, he doesn't like our show uh, and honestly I, I want to know what he listens to because if if our show is the way he describes and he listens to better shows I want to know about those shows so this is <laughs> this is a random review from from iTunes on the West of Everest for West of Everest the podcast again from 2020. And this was during uh, you know, the middle of October of 2020 when o, you know, OU, I guess, had lost the first couple of games or whatever it was. It was one in th- Anyway, that, that doesn't matter. He says, uh, not worth listening to. They have no idea what they're talking about. They love to second-guess things after the fact, but all of their original takes are bad, too. There are much better OU podcasts. End of review. So I think, like, I think that's great because it makes me think, like, do I... In 2020, or just in general, man, did we really did we really second guess a lot of things after the fact? Uh, without we might we must have because I, you know, whenever I think about the way I do this podcast, I try my best to acknowledge, you know, hey, didn't see that coming, or here's where we were wrong, or whatever. And also, we try to look ahead and think well, what could be a problem. But at least for one person back in 2020, uh, <laughs> we we were all we were just uh, basically, uh, I guess. What's, what's the right? We're, we were uh, Monday morning quarterbacking everything, but making it seem like we were the smartest people in the room. So hopefully we've improved since then, Grant. And uh, I know that's kind of super random to end the show like that, but I just, I've just i been meaning to bring this random review up for a long time, and I finally remembered to it now. <laughs> Grant, he's speechless. You can't believe uh, it. Uh, yeah, no. you don't, don't like the show, then don't listen. There's... Plenty of plenty out, you know, plenty else out there. I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, I honestly don't understand the perspective of negative review internet guy. I don't get it. Your life sucks. I know your life sucks. It's okay, my man. Or his life's great. I, I appreciate literally any review because that, that means that our show, it, somebody they listen to our show or like our show gave somebody enough energy. To actually go on to something and type something, give their thought. Like, that's awesome. I appreciate that because I listen to a lot of podcasts and I maybe have left. And I, I, I realize it's hypocritical because I ask you all to leave your feedback for our show. So I realize what I'm going to say here is hypocritical. I've maybe left two ratings for podcasts and maybe two reviews in my entire life. And I like a lot of podcasts, but I just haven't really left ratings and reviews for them. Because honestly, I was just like, ah, I just don't feel like taking the time. And so the fact that even though that guy gave us one star, whoever it was, 
was so passionate enough about our podcast that they left feedback. And I want to say one podcast I listened to called The Favorites. Eh, it's a hit and miss podcast. But one of the hosts said something that I, I totally agree with. He said, feedback is a gift. I think that's totally true. Feedback is a gift, especially when you're doing podcasts and you're putting time into it. And it's, it's a hobby of ours for the most part. So anyways, I appreciate that. I appreciate every person that gives us a rating or a review, no matter what it is. I think that's cool. Yeah, not all feedback is constructive or useful, though. Um, and I'm not saying that particular one isn't. It's just, I'm, I'm one. I don't really think the opinion of, of one person who has a negative viewpoint on it is really that relevant at all. Um, and also, I just, and this is me just getting, I, whatever. Negative review, internet guy's weird to me. To me, it's clearly a narcissistic tendency. Nobody gives a shit about what you think. Like, actually, about anything. And it's a... All right, it, it's, it's a way to make Including yourself feel better to get your get your stuff out there. <laughs> well, I, I also look at it in a way in which we got to think of it in terms that we get you know, we have a privilege of doing the show and we have a lot of loyal listeners and we really appreciate all of you. So we have that outlet to say whatever we want for the most part where a lot of people don't have that. And so I tend to understand if somebody wants to to voice. I mean, that's how Facebook like the people that joke about people that post on Facebook, for example. That's the, the, the cliche, right? Because like everyone's got an opinion and how do you get it out? Facebook or Instagram or whatever or Twitter. Whereas for us, it's like, yeah, we're, we do our, I mean, we talk sports here. We talk about OU football, but it helps. It's, it's good. I mean, it, we, whatever we're thinking about OU football, we can say here and not a lot of people can do that. And so again, I think it's a privilege and I, I take that into account as well whenever I see any sort of feedback or anybody voicing their opinion it's just it's essentially their way of having their own podcast in a much shorter form <laughs> or their own blog so anyways that's a weird way to end the show i know uh before we get going here do you have anything else you want to add maybe uh thanksgiving why it's going a lot longer than i thought uh we you know, sometimes talk about thanksgiving food but not no you don't want to do maybe our we'll annual about- uh our annual <laughs> just ribbing against saint or thanksgiving food we could because, again, we're about a, an hour and 20 in or so. And it, the thing is, though, I don't think we should do this are, just because are, we're, we're, we're clearly in the minority with this take. And, um, <laughs> but it, and it's fine. It's, it's right. I mean, we're, we're, we are right. <laughs> and so it's okay. But it's like, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving food's not good. It's, it's not good. But also, if you enjoy it, please do so. Please do so. It's just please acknowledge that you are enjoying it because you really like your family and nostalgia and not because the food tastes particularly good. And I, the same thing I always say, because we're in agreement on this, I always say, if you really like Thanksgiving food so much, why don't you eat it more throughout the year? I love pizza. I eat it all the time. <laughs> I eat it all. I love it on Thanksgiving. It's my favorite food. I, I really it, like mashed potatoes, spe- mac and cheese, and dinner rolls, which are the only three things during Thanksgiving that people eat year-round. Yeah. I mean, I eat mac and cheese all the time. Mashed potatoes, not so much, but I like mashed potatoes and gravy. But like, it's not my favorite thing, but I like it, you know, like, but if I liked it more, I would eat it more throughout the year. And this isn't uh, but I like love mac and cheese. This isn't to say that these, that these dishes, like these, these traditional Thanksgiving dishes can't taste good. It's just, it's, it's just that these foods, turkey, ham, uh, very carby things like bread that you have to load up with a bunch of spices and stuff like that. It's cheap it's cheap ingredients that don't have a lot of flavor to them. That's the whole point. It really requires a lot of learned skill, time, 
and a really good kitchen and sometimes even professionalism to get flavor out of those types of dishes. And I'm sorry, just most households, most people making them do not possess those skills. See, I'm not as strong about that as you are because, I mean, you're talking mostly about like the meat and then I guess some of the other things. Like for me is there's a lot of novelty Thanksgiving sides that people claim to love that I think are just gross. Like I know my friend Eddie Radosevich always this time of year always talks about green bean casserole. I hate green bean casserole. I think it's awful. I don't like mushroom. I, the, all the ingredients on it, I think, are gross. Like I, yeah, that's the thing that people say they like a lot. And my thing is, well, you should probably make it more than if you like it so much. Another thing, the, uh, the, the sweet, sweet potato, like whatever that has like marshmallows and stuff that people love. Like I, I see that like, nah, I'm good. Pass. That's, that's, that's got a weird novelty side. Uh, I know a lot of, I'm not sure if this is more of a thing. It's probably not a Thanksgiving thing. I had this one time at Easter at a friend's house. Their family just loved deviled eggs. I hate deviled eggs. I think they're awful. Uh, so I, may, I don't know if maybe there's like an appetizer. Some families do deviled eggs, whatever. That's another kind of a novelty side dish. Again, maybe not Thanksgiving. That was an Easter thing. I don't know. So this is the kind of stuff that I'm just kind of like, I, I'm out. I don't get how you guys like this stuff. And if you like it so much, then have it more than just on Thanksgiving. Well, I'll be a little more... Uh be a little more even keeled here than my uh, my my partner. I'll even green bean casserole is fine. The sweet potato stuff with the is fine. It's totally edible. It's fine to eat once a year. But it's it's other than that. It's just it's it's fine. <laughs> it's not going to get me started on pie. Not to the point where people are, go crazy about it. And uh, and and I do. I I really do believe that most people feel this way because they love their family and they like the nostalgia and they like that. Which for me, that's great. That's great. It's just like when people are talking about how, how delicious this stuff is, I'm being gaslit every single year. <laughs> being gaslit every single time. Like every, everyone it. knows. Everyone knows that if you take all of that food on one table, put that food on one table, take another table and put an entire smorgasbord of the best barbecue you've ever had in your entire life. I know exactly what is going to be picked clean first. That's a great point. And honestly, you throw a bunch of pizzas on a table, too. I think that's going to go faster as well. I think people love pizza. It's easy. You can eat it with your hands. There's no, yeah, I, I don't know. Handful I mean, of years ago, handful of years ago, we had a, we were doing a, you know, the millennial friends giving thing with all my college friends. And uh, of course, everybody brings a dish or whatever. And everyone, you know, brought like a homemade dish or whatever. And I just walked in and I was carrying a bunch of Taco Bell. I stopped in the, the Taco Bell drive-thru on my way there. I got a bunch of tacos. Got some like cheesy gordita crunches, some quesadillas and stuff like that. And it went very quick. Went really wow. fast. Wow. I never heard that story. That's, and I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. Because that stuff is delicious. It's the greatest restaurant out there. Uh, big, uh, bunch of credit to a friend of mine. I saw him post on Facebook that he recently did a Friendsgiving this year. But the theme was it everybody, like everyone had to bring a dish like your Friendsgiving that you were talking about, but the theme was fast food. So everybody brought some sort of fast food item. I saw a picture of the table. That, that is the Thanksgiving I want, baby. It looked awesome. There was like cheeseburgers and tacos and Chick-fil-A and uh, pizza. Man, it was just all the junk food. It was like, yeah, fast food slash junk food. And I thought, you know what? That's what I'm talking about right there. You know, I, clearly what it is is that our palates are just 
very different. You know, I, I guess I need to be more of a healthy eater. Maybe if you're a, a healthy eater, most of the you know, days out of the year, that Thanksgiving meal hits the spot because you're not stuffing your face like I do all the time with a bunch of unhealthy food. So man, that probably factors in as well, too. I, I got to say. No, I do want to acknowledge that. I think it's important to acknowledge we're... I think we, we I don't I don't think we should uh we, we're in the minority. People really really love Thanksgiving food. Uh just not uh and so I we're not I'm not calling anyone out specifically. This is not something that I really ever bring up amongst my friends like without it being prompted anymore. But uh <laughs> yeah, it's just uh hey, I you know, and I think it's probably betterly, you know, especially on Thanksgiving. We should probably keep our food takes to ourselves. Oh yeah, I mean it well, it's our own podcast, so we can do whatever we want, which is what we're doing right now. But yeah, we're don't get me wrong; like, we're going to be at Thanksgiving tomorrow. You and I, we're not going to stand up on the table and start giving a sermon about this food. Be- that's not the way it works. But we're if just- any one person listens to this and reaches out to us and says, "You know what? I'm with you guys, and you guys are totally right," then it'll be worth it. I think your story about the Taco Bell at the Friendsgiving says it all. It says it all. It's the it same principle. Like, I got like it was. I got like twelve tacos. Like a handful of gorditas and like a handful of quesadillas, and it went really fast. It's the same principle as whenever you're at any sort of work setting or it, any sort of event, and they have a bunch of pizza out there, and everyone goes and gets pizza, and a half hour later, and you come back, or an hour later, you come back. Which pizza is still always available? The veggie pizza. There's always plenty of veggie pizza. Which pizza is all gone? Pepperoni. Pepperoni, if you got cheese, the cheese is gone. Uh, there's, it's, it's just, it's so just order a bunch of pepperoni or cheese pizza or heck, even sausage. I'm not the biggest sausage fan, but like just get the basics. People love the basics. They'll go, they'll go fast. Anyways, that's the same idea as that. You give up all this delicious Taco Bell. Man, it's gone. And the sweet potato casserole, the green bean casserole, and Heck, even the mashed potatoes, that's still hanging around. Plenty of that left. And mashed everybody. potatoes are very good. I, I, I really True. like mashed potatoes. I do potatoes. like mashed potatoes. And uh, those are good. But yeah, like I said, we, stuffing, we eat those. There's still plenty of stuffing left. Still we plenty eat, of we, stuffing we, left We, to we eat. eat those year-round. And, and honestly, I kind of like stuffing, too. I think stuffing can be really good. Um, but yeah, I, I, turkey sucks. Turkey's really bad. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get that at all. That's, that's the one that ha- you have to be... You have to be so skillful in how you prepare it for it not to be bad, to be honest with you. And it usually is bad. All right. Well, we're going <laughs> to. So uh, recapping our picks. <laughs> uh, all right. So I forgot to recap. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Who cares? It's over. Um, thanks for listening to our podcast. Thanks for listening to us ramble on about iTunes reviews and Thanksgiving food for the last 15 to 20 minutes. We really appreciate it. We'll be back after. OU's game against Texas Tech to break down the final game of the regular season. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.